the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And we have some wonderful guests as usual. Hey, uh, let me ask you to do me a favor. Uh, if you don't, will you please follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, at Eagle Ed Martin, or, or excuse me, on Facebook, Ed Martin Live. Uh, but it would be a big deal if you can help uh, retweet, share, whatever you can do. Spread the word at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Uh, big help for us to get the word out. Okay, today we've got a couple of great guests uh, we will be catching up with, um, as always. And I, I love talking to these folks. And we will, a new guest uh, is with us today. His name is um, John, let me get it first right. John Zadrozny, Zadrozny, Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal. He's going to talk about some of what is happening on the legal front with the Biden administration. Also, we'll talk with Andy Pollack, the amazing Andy Pollack. What a man. What a what a guy to talk to. Uh, his daughter, uh, Meadow, was killed in Parkland in the shooting in Florida a few years ago. Um, and every time there's a shooting, he emerges in a positive way to say, hey, uh, what are you going to do to make your schools safer? Why aren't you doing these things? And he's got a uh, uh, group that is sort of sponsoring his work that he's working with uh, that we'll talk about. And we'll just get a sense from him of what can be done and what he's already seeing. And he's just an amazing guy, uh, Andy Pollack. He's written a book on uh, his daughter. The book is uh, available wherever you buy books. And the title of the book is Why Meadow Died, The People and Policies That Created the Parkland Shooter uh, and Endanger America's uh, students. Um, so we will talk uh, with him in a few moments. Um, now, uh, here's the thing, what you need to know today. Um, I, I, you know, every time I get one of these winks, the daily wink, and, you know, please go over to proamericareport.com, sign up for the daily email. You get this information in your email every morning at uh, 8 a.m. East Coast time. Um, and I just shake my head. So uh, there's a piece that ran uh, uh, yesterday, uh, late on uh, on Tuesday, and it ran in the um, Associated Press. And the, the headline is Cyber Agency, colon, says, so Cyber Agency says, voting software vulnerable in some states. And then the article, the AP article goes on to say that there has been an analysis by the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, CISA, you may recall CISA came out just after the 2020 election and said it was the safest election ever. But CISA has now said that in 16 states, there is software that is vulnerable. And by vulnerable, they mean it could be uh, hacked. It could be compromised. And it's Dominion software. Now, they don't say, nobody has proven that Dominion software was hacked. But this is what we've been saying from the beginning. What we've been saying from the beginning of time. I mean, I ran the election board in St. Louis in 2006, 2005 and six and into seven, I think it was. And what we were saying at the time was you have to understand when you switch over to computer systems that there is a possibility of security breach. And, and the security is only as good as the systems that surround it. 
And when you hear the, the, the federal government's agency and a big report issued that says in 16 states, the software of one of the biggest companies is vulnerable. The, only, the question is not whether it's been hacked. We don't know that. But the question is, when will it be hacked? It has to be hacked. There's too much at stake. You go into some of these counties or states or municipality races, there's tens of millions of dollars. There's dollars and power at stake. You're going to see fraud. But think about how wild this is, how with the world we're living in. You're, you were literally taken off of social media. You were literally pulled off of platforms if you questioned whether the elections might have been breached at any point. Because why? Because they wanted to silence that debate and they want to make sure that we went forward. And as I have said over and over again, I believed that the Constitution had to play out. And at a certain point, it didn't matter if we found out after the fact that there was cheating. You can't go back. We have a stability in our Constitution, in our system that required us to keep going forward. But it does feel like the way people were told to stay quiet was a part of the plan or part of a plan to shut it down. And, you know, we talked uh, yesterday about, uh, I mentioned that people talk about the election being rigged, but I'm talking specifically about the question now of whether systems can be compromised, computer systems. And let me be clear, there's about three or four systems that are in play, okay? One is the poll books, the electronic records that surround the poll books, that surround the voter registration and, and who is on the poll, uh, on, the, uh, on the, the, the voter rolls, the registration rolls. That's one set of computer monitored and, uh, in theory, able to be compromised. By the way, just because something could be compromised doesn't mean that you can't keep doing elections. Here's an example. It is true that someone can break into a, 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 a safe in a bank. That doesn't mean you don't have a safe in a bank. What it means is you don't only have a safe in a bank, you have an electronic surveillance and you have a security guard and you have a system. You make the system secure. So back to my point, there's, there's the voter registration rolls and the actual voter rolls on election day. That's in a computer system. Then there's the actual computer systems that, ca that catch votes, that uh, accept votes. And then if you do, if you do it on, on paper, there's a voting system that scans, right, that scans in the votes. And then there's another set of votes. There's another set of computer systems that count them, that tabulate and keep a record of where the votes came in. And then usually there's a centralized system that brings all the different systems together. There's like four or five systems that are computer-based and at least one of the major ones, according to the federal government in a report, is able to be compromised in 16 states. Doesn't, by the, again, doesn't say it's happened, doesn't say it happened here, but it says there is a security problem. You cannot just pretend that putting the money in the basement of the bank is good enough. You have to put the money in the basement of the bank in a vault. Then you have to say that's not good enough. You have to put around it a system, electronic surveillance, a security guard. Right now, we have people in office in this country who think that their election was on the up and up because they won. And we, the people, are looking at it going, even if 
it wasn't stolen from us this time. It, it could well be the next time. And it probably will if there's enough at stake. And again, over and over, I tell you, there are two role, there are two duties of the election officials. One is to get a really good secure system and make sure that the system is working and it doesn't get stolen. But two is have people believe in it. Because people will not participate in a system that they see is fraught with compromised uh, parts with with aspects of it that may or may not be secure and therefore they just check out and they don't bother because they say you know what I know what's going on here I'm not even going to bother and so the idea again that the AP the Associated Press is writing a piece as if it's not the biggest headline in the history of the world that some of the Dominion and I believe Dominion was one of the entities that sued other people. Didn't they sue? Didn't Dominion sue people and say and maybe the people that said something about him went too far, alleged a specific action that didn't happen. But now the federal government says Dominion has software systems. That are not secure enough or better said can be compromised. Well, again, back to our bank vault. As Willie Sutton said, when they asked him, why do you rob banks? He said, banks, is where the mo- banks are where the money is. If you don't think that as the size and scope of government has grown bigger and bigger, that it's not clearer and clearer to people that power is being in office, and therefore, if you can steal an election, aren't you gonna? Isn't it likely? Isn't it likely that people, if they could, would? I'm not saying I know for sure. I don't know for sure in 2016 when Hillary said it was done. I don't know in 2020 when Trump said it was done. I don't know in 2011 when Ron Klain said it was done. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the evidence in front of me in a court, but I do now now have a report from the federal government that tells me something specific. And again, my final point, what you need to know is where are the leaders who are not saying simply, vote for my team, but instead saying we have to have a system that is transparently trustworthy. If we don't get that, if we, we're, we're, we are going to lose. This is a threat to the republic because we're, we're, we're going to lose the confidence of our fellow man in the system. And over time, it's not just that people will stop participating. It becomes this cascading effect. It becomes this sort of cascading effect where more and more folks fall out and into the cascade away from not just participation, but a belief in the nation, in our, our ethics. You know, I always tell the nation state is the nation state is the point. The nation part is ethnic, religious, cultural together, and the state is a government. We lose that cascading away from us the more we have a system that seems to be so broken and leaders that won't even fix it, won't even be serious. All right, we'll take a break. We come back. We'll talk with uh, Andy Pollack, the author of Why Meadow Died, about these uh, school shootings and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. (laughs) 
Hey, welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward for a, a while, to a few days, to talk to uh, Andy Pollack. Uh, over the years, I've had him on the show a number of times, and he's talked about his experience, of course, uh, horrendous uh, um, life experience of his daughter, uh, Meadow, who, who uh, died in Parkland. He wrote a book, which I've talked a lot about, uh, Why Meadow Died. Um, and it's, it's, it's a book. It could have been a book about him and his feelings and his family, which there's a lot of uh, in his life. But it was about um, the people and the policies that created the Parkland shooter and endangered America's student, endanger America's students. So, Andy, welcome. I, I only I can only imagine I learned long ago. You can never tell someone I know what you're going through. God knows you don't know what you're going through. But I know when these things happen, it brings back a lot of uh, memories, probably most of them not good of, of your own suffering when you see what happened in Buffalo or Texas. So I'm sorry for that, but I'm glad you've been able to be out communicating. I've seen you on some of the shows and all. And so uh, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me, Ed. And you know what? What keeps me going is trying to get the message out to parents, uh, mm -hmm. what they could do uh, to make them their kids safer and just be safe in general, being out in society. Uh, yeah. I really just owe it, to, owe it to parents to teach them what well, to look for. And, and that's what my daughter would want me to do, you know, and that's what I focus on. Well, and broadly, Andy, we're talking with Andy Pollack again, and I'll, I'll tell you, he just was telling me off the air. If you, I'll put it up on social media to find out more about what he's up to. It's a website, Berna.com, B-Y-R-N-A, Berna.com uh, slash school safety. I'll, I'll say it again later, but find out what he's doing. But I, I, can I say, you must, you must, your level of frustration, I've talked to you enough off the air, on the air, when you see these things, you kind of, I mean, it, because a lot of what you said when you wrote the book was, here's the holes, everybody. If I, you can, you can want to talk about whether you're gun control or mental health is a debate, but as to safety in these buildings, it, 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 it doesn't seem like anybody takes, it's always some, it's going to happen somewhere else, not at their school. Yeah, everybody thinks it can't happen to them. Uh, go ask the parents in Uvalde or yeah. the families in even, you know, not the school shooting in Buffalo. You know, everyone thinks it can't happen to them, but, you know, it keeps happening and it, it, it's a scary situation. And society, the way it's going, you just can't think that way anymore. You really have to get involved in your, your child's uh, school, in safety in general just to know your whereabouts and and most of it's avoidable 100% avoidable buffalo was avoidable the shooting in texas recently was 1000% avoidable and should never have happened um, and we're talking again with Andy Pollack, and I'll put up on social media uh, uh, the website where he's been working on school safety. Um, how do you, Andy, how do you help people cut through the nonsense? Like one thing that happened in this in this Texas matter was the media immediately said all the cops were wimps. Right. Turns out we know a bunch of the guys were heroes. Right. I mean, they were heroes. But how do you try to get the. Cut, cut through. And then everybody, and, and I'll say it on both sides, the each side starts chanting their thing. You know, well, gun control will work. ARs, ARs are this or that. The other side says it's mental health. How do you, how do you tell normal people that are just stunned by this uh, where to go to figure out what's happening? Well, I, I, that's what I focus on because, you know, the kids are my main priority, keeping the kids safe. So I turn off all that chatter. I, you know, of the gun control stuff, even on the response that day, uh, I'm still waiting to see what's going to 
what's going to transpire with the uh, the body cameras, the school videos. I know, you know, I spoke to some professionals in, in the law enforcement world, some Navy SEALs I know. Those doors uh, cannot just be breached easily. You know, a door like that, without the right tools right then and there, it could take 40 minutes to open. So I don't, we don't really know what's hap- what happened. You know, did they have a key to go in? What, what, what was going on at, through the windows? So all this stuff's going to come out. So I don't really jump on that uh, yet before I know it, all, all the results. But what I, we can jump on is, why? what about a code red? Did the principal call a code red drill? You know, they heard there were rounds going off outside the school. Why wasn't the school put on lockdown? We know they opened the side door. What about the, the room, the doors inside the classrooms? You know, why wasn't that lock put on lockdown? So there's multitudes of failures that happen. And the only way you're going to find everything out is if they put together a, com- uh, a commission like what we did in Florida under Governor Scott. He put together the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission uh, with experts in the field. Uh, parents, some of the parents were on that. And they just dissected all the failures. You know, there was failures before that day, I promise you, mm-hmm. with this kid's uh, mental health or not getting arrested or committing crimes or making threats. So all that stuff needs to come out and, and we need to put the focus on that. And, and that's the only way uh, things will change. We're talking with um, uh, Andy Pollack and uh, I mentioned his uh, website. He was telling me where he's doing work. I'm looking at it. Berna.com, B-Y-R-N-A, Berna.com slash school safety. Pulling back a little bit, Andy, if, you, if you're sitting at home now and you're listening to this and you say, I want to go into my school and I want to start the conversation so we, we don't pretend it can never happen here, we're going to go and, and, and make, make our place safer. What's like the top two or three things that a parent should do right off the bat right now that you'd say, you know, do these three things because, and maybe it's just stop everything so you can see what the heck to do, but what are the top two or three things parents should be doing right now? Okay. The first thing is, uh, well, I haven't said this lately, but the first thing is communicate with your child. Is there a kid making threats? Uh, Is there someone uh, that they're aware of in the school? Because a lot of times, the students know who these kids are beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they can know they could be opening the communication with their children. Uh, number two is after you drop your child off, I would go, uh, go for a ride, get a coffee, come back to the school and see if you could get into the school without going through the front door. Uh, see if you knock on a door, if some, if someone will open it, you know, just having a single point of entry isn't enough. You have to reiterate to the students and the staff not to open the door. If someone knocks on it. That's something the parent could do on their own. Also, uh, what parents could be talking to the principal about is a hard corner. The hard corner in the room is the wall along the same side as the door that goes into the room. Uh, that's a safe spot in the room where someone couldn't shoot through the hallway, okay? In Parkland, we learned that the shooter came back multiple times and shot through the glass of the door, killing children who were hiding under their desks rather than along that wall. Teachers didn't know about a hard corner. In Florida, they put a piece of tape in that area. They don't allow for furniture or desks or cabinets. Uh, 
They leave that area open in case there is an emergency. You know, I just went to Texas and I, uh, no, Vegas. I was in Vegas and I visited a school and the principal had no clue of what a hard corner was. Uh, it was actually the teacher's desk in the room was at the hard corner. So hmm. it doesn't cost the school any money to have a hard corner and it could save your child's life. Hmm. And one of the other most important things is that we have armed security at the school. Uh, one is not enough. Uh, plain clothes is better where no one knows uh, who that person is. But you need to have armed security. You don't go in the airport without armed security or through a single point of entry. Uh, courtrooms, sporting events, uh, just, you know, in this world today, you need to have security at the school that's armed. And those things uh, could really make a difference if the parents take seriously what I just mentioned. Well, and if you go, uh, we're talking with uh, Andy Pollack, and and of course, uh, I mentioned his book, which is uh, Why Meadow Died, The People and Policies That Created the Parkland Shooter and Endanger American Students. There's a lot in that book, uh, but also he's uh, working over at, as he mentioned, on safety for the kids. There's videos there. Uh, there's uh, documentation on this over at Berna.com, B-Y-R-N-A, Berna.com uh, slash school safety. And uh, you do a search for Andy Pollack, you'll see a lot of his stuff. Andy, I got to run, unfortunately, but I, I listen. Thank you for um, being out there uh, in these times. I, I I know I've talked to you when you're, you know, uh, w- with your family in a way. There's a lot going on, and you know, but being out there to help these kids and parents um, be aware going forward. You've always impressed me on that. That you, uh, you know, your suffering is real and it's where it is. But you got to look forward, and that's a big service. So thanks for doing it. Uh, anytime, Ed. Appreciate it. All right. And Andy Pollock, everybody, I'll put up on social media again, make sure uh, that we get his that website because um, it's valuable when you see him uh, talk about these issues and uh, and the videos there. And again, it's Berna, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash school safety. Check it out there and we will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I actually have been planning on having our next guest on for about a week and a half. I messed up and, and missed him on one window. Uh, John Zadrozny is uh, Deputy Director of Investigations for America First Legal. Uh, a couple of, I don't know, a week or two ago, I saw him over on One America News Network doing an interview. And he is a guy that has dug into what's going on with illegal immigration in the Biden administration. And uh, it's quite a story. So first of all, Welcome, John, to the program. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And it's America First Legal, AFLegal.org, AFLegal.org. If you go there, you can find out all about all the different work they're doing, their mission, uh, the America First movement, and putting our country first. And as a legal uh, fighter, it's there. So, John, for, so tell me your job. You're an investigations guy for America First Legal. And this issue, illegal immigration, you dug into. Walk us through where we are, what you're doing, what you found. Well, we've uh, thank you, Ed. Well, we've got a great team over at America First Legal. We tackle a bunch of different subjects, but immigration is obviously something that is that is front and center in terms of the damage this administration is causing, and it's intentional damage. I think that's probably the most important thing I could drive home for your audience, which is I think there are people who look at what's going on at the border and they throw up their hands and they say, "Gosh, they don't know what they're doing." They know exactly what they're doing. This is a policy that is geared toward pushing the volume of illegal immigration into this country up so that they can then uh, give them an amnesty at some point. 
And uh, it's really kind of obvious in terms of the way they're doing it. For example, I know there, there are some stories out there saying, uh, Mayorkas is saying we're going to get people out of the country as soon as possible once we've adjudicated their asylum claims. Well, that's not true. Uh, the easiest way to prevent that from happening in the first place is to restore the migrant protection protocols, which as part of the, I was part of the Trump administration that did put the MPP into place. And it basically prevented you from coming into the United States at all right. until you had an asylum court date. And then you couldn't come back in unless you were approved. And then you were good to go. Anyone else who was uh, either, you know, either you, if you were denied, you weren't allowed into the country. And a lot of people just got to the, the border. and They said, what, you mean I'm not going to be caught and released? I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a tremendous fraud reducer. They clearly want this critical mass of illegal immigration. Um, sorry, go ahead. Ed. No, no. Well, no, and, and specifically right now, we've heard a lot of coverage of the Title 42. We've had a lot of coverage of fentanyl uh, flowing through. But again, those those sort of pockets of coverage, the reality is day to day dramatic and the numbers are stunning. I mean, I think there's a million people is the number that I saw quoted. I mean, what what's the scope of this problem? Well, uh, the scope of the problem is at least we're talking at least probably uh, 1.5 to 2 million people have come in over the last year plus since Joe Biden walked into the Oval Office. Uh, and that, now that, it's important to stress that that number is based on hard numbers provided by the administration itself. Right. Um, we, we filed a lawsuit against them last year uh, to force them to reimplement the micro protection protocols. And um, the court basically said you have to to right. the administration. We think they're not, and we think they should be held in contempt, but that's another story. Pursuant to that lawsuit, we've been getting numbers from their, their own numbers regarding who they've let in, who they've turned away. And according to their own numbers, they have let in more than 1 million people, hmm. uh, many of whom are still pending asylum claims. Now, that's also obviously, and that's not including the unaccompanied alien children um, that they're they're shipping all over the country to the tune of probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. We, we're not completely sure. And then that's also not including the people we don't catch. And there are quite a few of those. I mean, and that number could be pretty significant. You've got to wonder, too, in an environment, Ed, where uh, people are the, the U.S. government is so permissive to illegal immigration and uh, people are encouraged to turn themselves into the Border Patrol that you've got to wonder about the people who aren't turning themselves into the border patrol. And that's actually what terrifies. Right, right. Of course. Uh, again, uh, that's uh, exactly, you're exactly right. I mean, that's so there's always more to it than what you're seeing. We're talking with John Zadrozny. He is uh, one of the uh, key investigators, American First Legal. I should point out to our listeners, American First Legal, one of their board of directors is Stephen Miller, who was a great friend of the late Phyllis Schlafly's. And we've always been a fan of his. Uh, he's had a clear eye on this from years ago when he was working for uh, then Senator Jeff Sessions. And so America First Legal is out there in the fight. Uh, you do. You mentioned America First Legal does cover a number of issues. Uh, uh, however, on this immigration issue, I just did an interview with uh, one of the guys who's doing one of these big summits, conservative summits. And he said one of the top two or three issues every time is the border. Now, he was talking about conservatives. But it, do you see, John, that when you say these numbers and see these numbers, that more and more Americans are saying, we just can't tolerate this? I mean, in other words, it's not an issue that's small anymore. It's maybe it's always been a big issue, but it's bigger and bigger every day. I think you're right, Ed. I mean, I think conservatives have always cared about immigration, always focused on it, and always thought it was important. 
there's a there's a wing of the Republican Party that has been in denial about the problem of illegal immigration for a long, long time. I think the hard part about immigration, especially illegal immigration, is most Americans don't really see it in their day-to-day lives, right? Unless right. you live on the border, unless you're staring at flows of people or you're a rancher and you find bodies on your land that you have to pay for to have them removed or, you know, you're having a shootout. I've heard some ranchers tell some amazing stories, uh, including shootouts with people who are crossing onto their land and telling them they need to turn over food or cars or they're going to get shot. Um, this is actually happening. But if you're not one of those people, like I live in Virginia, I, I, you know, I just happen to notice certain things. But the reality is if you, most people live their day to day, they don't really see the tangible result of illegal immigration, but it's there. And the reality is it affects everything. Like in a country where illegal immigration is so rampant, uh, services are affected, costs are affected, taxes are affected. Um, you know, I live in a state and you, you live in a state where, uh, um, where the, the people who are, you know, basically getting representation or money from Congress are getting less representation and less money from Congress because states with illegal aliens that are sanctuary jurisdictions right. are uh, basically getting more money from Congress and they have more representatives in Congress. Yeah. It, you know, it, that's got to stop. And so that's how it affects, I think, most people. But even now in the Biden crime family chaos era, uh, people are seeing visible results of illegal immigration is becoming tangible and it affects everyone's lives. And that's why it has to be addressed. It cannot be ignored anymore. And if you ever thought it wasn't a problem, I think the Biden administration has driven home just <laughs> how dangerous it is to have a, an administration say, come on in and what right. the results of that are. Uh, again, we're talking with John Zadrozny. He's the deputy director of investigations, America first legal. Uh, if you go over to aflegal.org, you can learn more about it. Uh, so John, what, I had this. I had Todd Bensman of the Center for Immigration Studies on, and I was asking about this because he's describing the reality. And I, and I said, "Is anything your experience? Is anything tell you something will change?" Meaning, you know, politicians are are fairly crass. At a certain point, they care about money and votes. And is there anything that gives you a sense that there'll be a change in policy because they're bleeding support? You know, from folks in the in the Democrat Party, more and more people, I think, are saying, wait a second, we don't we're not this far gone. At least I mean, I'm hope feels like they are anything. Anything give you an indication that, you know, was was the Biden administration rooting for the courts to force them to do Title 42? Maybe. But they went right ahead and appealed it. So they're going to appeal that that pause by the courts. So anything any give me any give me any hope. You have any hope out there? Well, I mean, I think if I can give you any hope, Ed, it's that, uh, you know, maybe people have not really noticed the problems with immigration before, but this administration's complete and total yeah. stand down on this issue has has made it front and center. And what I worry about is, you know, I, I don't know how to say this without sounding a little bit crass, but I'm terrified of something really bad, like a terrorist incident um, where everyone thinks, well, gosh, uh, now we see it. Now this is hard. It shouldn't come to that. The reality is like many, many people have been killed and injured as a result of illegal aliens in this country, harmed in other ways, um, less direct ways, perhaps. But um, I think Trump showed you can do it and it's not inhumane to enforce your laws and that it's actually good for immigration. Because one thing the left neglects is that I think a lot of people have a negative view toward immigration generally um, when you allow it, illegal immigration to run rampant. I think we have to remember, like, we are a nation of immigrants. We do support immigration, legal immigration, the appropriate way. Um, but I think that that when you allow hundreds of thousands to millions of people to flood over your border with no controls, it hurts the people who have been trying to do this legally for years. And it stains the perception of immigration as a policy generally. So yeah. I don't know. I, I just hope, I think in the long term, 
that Americans are seeing the damage being caused by this administration, not just in immigration and other areas. And if and when Republicans are ever able to win a presidential election again, um, if we can overcome fraud, et cetera, um, (laughs) then uh, major, major changes need to be locked into place. And um, you know, there's no one thing that has to be done. It's a, it's a whole of government effort that has to come into play. Well, all right. Well, John Zadrozny, uh, again, Deputy Director of Investigations for America First Legal. Thank you, John. And America First Legal, again, is aflegal.org. A lot of stuff there. You go there and you can see their resources and their news releases on a number of issues that they're addressing. Uh, fill, fill, the place is filled with people that understood and understand how government works and are in there saying, hey, wait a second, what they're really doing is this. Uh, so you can find out more uh, there. We've got to run. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't forget, go to proamericareport.com and you can see all these great interviews over there with standalone links. I'll post this one over there and I'll put John the link to John's uh, work at American America First Legal. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Supporters of same-sex marriage like to compare themselves to civil rights activists of earlier generations. They argue that protecting traditional marriage is like the segregation fought by Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. There's one particular Supreme Court case they bring up over and over to make this point. That case is Loving versus Virginia. In 1967, the court ruled that bans on interracial marriage are unconstitutional. Same-sex marriage advocates say they only want the court to do for them what the Loving case did for interracial marriage. But the comparison does not hold up. The National Coalition of Black Pastors and Christian Leaders makes this point in an amicus brief sent to the Supreme Court. This brief refutes the claims of gay activists to be today's civil rights heroes. Gays and lesbians never suffered anything like the discrimination that oppressed African Americans in the days of slavery and Jim Crow. Those horrors led to the passage of the 14th Amendment, which guarantees to all citizens the equal protection of the laws. It's ridiculous to claim now that this language cancels out state laws protecting traditional marriage. Loving versus Virginia is being misinterpreted by same-sex marriage advocates to support their cause. They fail to see that that old case was about race, not about marriage. The court struck down bans on interracial marriage because race has nothing to do with marriage. As the Sixth Circuit Court rightly held, When it upheld state marriage laws, when the Loving case and its progeny used the word marriage, they did not redefine the term, but they accepted its traditional meaning. The simple truth is that a ban on interracial marriage and protections for traditional marriage are not the same thing at all. And today's gay marriage activists absolutely do not deserve to wrap themselves in the mantle of civil rights activists. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, visit ProAmericaReport.com to sign up for the daily email there, ProAmericaReport.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, at Eagle Ed Martin, and do me a favor and forward retweet, uh, like uh, some of our tweets. Uh, it helps a lot. Okay, uh, wrapping up today, let me spend a few minutes talking about uh, the pro-life efforts. And I want to point you to phyllisschlafly.com, uh, where you can link up to a podcast that I've been doing with Jordan Henry, our research director for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Jordan and I basically have been digging into uh, folks and issues around the pro-life effort, the pro-life movement. In anticipation, we started before the leak of the Alito draft opinion, uh, but we in anticipation of some decision in the Dobbs case. And we were saying, hey, let's start talking about these life issues so that people have some context. They understand what's happening. So go to, uh, go, excuse me, go to um, um, com. You can follow that there. But here's one thing that is clear. And there's been some coverage of this. There was a piece, I think it was in Politico. I did a search and I found that it was also available on other um, on other news sites. So I saw some coverage of it. That The city of Austin, Texas, which is a very liberal city, uh, very liberal. I mean, it, the, the elected officials in Austin proper and the, within the city limits are as liberal as they come. It's kind of like a, a bastion of, of liberalism in an otherwise a red sea of Texas. It kind of happens quite a bit, by the way, um, just like when you go to California. If you go to California, you go down to San Diego and uh, some of the co- counties around San Diego, they're as conservative as anywhere in the country. They're as conservative as, as Texas. So it just depends. There's always pockets. In fact, my friend Woody Woodrum of, of California uh, often says, look, there's 40 million people in California. 30 million are liberals and they vote crazy. He said, but 10 million, that's a lot of people, are conservative. And that's his argument. That's his, that's his assertion. So Austin, Texas has announced that they will decriminalize abortion. So that let's say that um, <clears throat> uh, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton and uh, Pennsylvania v. Uh, Casey, Casey v. Planned Parenthood uh, is reversed. All those decisions are reversed. And suddenly the right to abortion in the Constitution is no longer there. Well, what will happen next is states like Texas, with a majority in the legislature and a governor who's pro-life, will pass a ban on abortion. And so will Mississippi and Alabama and other states, just like Illinois and California and Massachusetts will pass laws protecting abortion and promoting abortion. And you'll get this kind of argument going in different states about the preferences that the people in those states have, broadly speaking, on abortion. Well, so within the red state of Texas, you, the, what Austin has said, the city has said, we're going about now getting ready to decriminalize abortion so that when you go and pass a law, we will try to assert either in court, uh, I guess it would be only in court, but in the court of public opinion also, that we've created this sort of safe zone for abortion. My point here is have at it. My point here is good. I mean, I, look, I would like to have abortion banned everywhere because I happen to be in the camp that believes that that baby is a baby and I don't think you should be able to take that baby's life. And I think there should be, you know, a, a conversation about that life, the baby. And so I'm, I'm on that side of the fence, right? I am. But if you can't get to that point where we can ban abortion forever and ever, and we have to do it by um, trying to make uh, change hearts and minds, by the way, well, then let Austin, let Austin make an argument that they want to be the, the abortion capital of the world or at least the abortion capital of Texas, I I think it's a losing argument. I think it's a terrible argument. I think it's a deathly, deadly, terrible, evil argument. But I, you know, in America, people are allowed to make 
you know, terrible arguments that I find terrible. I'm not, you know, they may not. They, they obviously don't. So if Austin wants to put out the, the banner and say, hey, come here, and then you're going to have this conflict. You're going to have Texas saying, hey, as a state, and we'll be back into a conversation, which is a good conversation about what does our sovereignty mean? Who has the sovereignty over, you know, who do we give our sovereignty to as Americans? We, the people, we don't get our sovereignty from the king, from the divine right of kings. We don't get it granted. We get it. We, the people, share the sovereignty we have with each other in the nation. And we do it through the states to the federal government. That's the federalist system. But it will set up a conversation, a serious conversation. And, and my bet is that where power is, is debated and limited, we're better served. You know, it's this kind of principle, uh, they often call it principle of subsidiarity. You, you try to push down to the, to the lowest level, the decision-making, because it gives the most people inherent dignity. That, you know, you have the right as an individual to make as many choices as you can for yourself. It's part of exerting, exercising your free will and having an ability to participate. So you want more of that. Sometimes called localism. Um, you know, this a notion of more local control or cl- control uh, and influence and power being de- devolved down to the lowest reasonable level. You wouldn't have a three-year-old decide whether to drive that car, but you would expect that uh, the people of a, of a state can decide on the rules of driving cars or something like that. It's a terrible example, but you get the point. So I, I, I'm not that worried about Austin making these arguments and other states even making these arguments. And, and uh, one of the big celebrities, I forget which one, jumped up on, uh, on social media and, and looked at two, in a two camera and smiled and said, I'm going to put money into an app so that people that want an abortion can jump on the app and sign up. And I'll basically be subsidizing people flying from Texas to California for abortion. I, I don't like it. I think you should regulate some of the conduct around it. But the conversation's a good place to head. I'm for that. I'm for more discussion about what exactly is going on because I think we win when we keep talking about life, the baby's life, the woman's life, choosing life. All right, I got to run. Speaking of choosing life, thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spilger, associate producer, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.